Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, we just sang, and that leads us to our confession of sin. We come to confess our sins confident that we have a faithful Father who pities us. So let's turn to Ephesians 2 and hear God's word call us to confession. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thus far the reading of God's word. Today is Father's Day, and may it be a blessing to all you fathers out there. One thing dads do is work and teach their children to work. God made us to do good works, Ephesians 2.10 says. So this is right. But the foundation of work is grace. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God favors us, so he saves us and he sets us to work. Dads do the same for their kids. Because we love them, we give them work. When they do half a job, we love them by helping them and guiding them. When they do well, we love them by not withholding our approval. So we're called to work on a foundation of grace. Fathers sometimes can have a hard time with grace. There are things that must be done, that must be learned. So we can sometimes let on that you'll have dad's approval when you do the job. Uh, Salvation by works, you see. So we need to master what Kevin DeYoung calls the the for you frown. Uh, To show approval before it's earned or in the midst of difficulty. Uh, I'm for you, but we need to do this and that. Uh, To work, uh, we need to show approval before it's earned, to to work and to sacrifice for an imperfect family. Uh, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And fathers need to receive that grace and then give it to their families as well. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So let's kneel if you're able, and I'll pray our prayer of confession from Psalm 51 today. four is our sermon text, just four verses, beginning at verse 14 to 17. Paul writes to the Corinthians here, hear God's infallible word. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere, in every church. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Well, as with uh, Mother's Day this year, I'm also doing a Father's Day message. 
And it's the same kind of format as you uh, maybe saw in the email. The idea here is to take a look at one of Paul's letters where he uses this metaphor of mother and father to describe his relationship to the church. It's quite uh, fascinating how he does this. And it, also, it's been a bit disorienting for me. I don't, if, don't know if it will be for you. Uh, the pace at which we've been going through Samuel, we're, we've been covering you know, an average of 20 to 40 verses every uh, sermon, and now we have four. So we're going to slow way down. There's four points in four verses here. So uh, that uh, watch out for that kind of pacing to, to take place today. Uh, so the idea here today is that earthly fathers reflect the image of God. And we'll see how that works in God's work in the church. So fathers, and the four points here, fathers beget, fathers admonish, fathers model, and fathers build. And each of those uh, will come from the four verses we have before us. First of all, fathers beget, and we see this in verse 15. Uh, Paul says, I have begotten you through the gospel. Uh, he uses that word, begotten. Uh, because as he's saying, I'm your father, not just a teacher, but I'm your, a father to you. So fathers beget is the point that Paul is assuming here. And we need to remember at this point that God is the pattern, right? We're just saying of the father's love begotten, right? Jesus is the only begotten son of God. God is, is the, the pattern. We are made in his image. Uh, it's not that the Bible was written by men on their own thinking up what God must be like and they thought of using the illustration of Father. No, God is the foundational reality. And because of that reality, he made us in his image. And so there are fathers in the human race. That's the way God made it. He's, he's the, the reality, we're the pattern, we're, the, we're the, the thing that follows in that pattern. So God the Father begets the Son, not physically, but then God creates a physical world that reflects that. So we sang of the Father's love begotten today. It's Christmas in June kind of idea, right? The first two verses of that hymn aren't really Christmas related. They speak of the whole creation being begotten by God. It's a lovely, a lovely wording that is in that hymn. So to put it a bit crassly, earthly fathers plant the seed that grows into a person, right? That, that's the begetting idea. You father a child. You bring that person into the world. So the point there is that fathers are a source, right? A source. They're a source of wisdom. They're a source of experience. They're the source of life itself. Uh, fathers beget. And Paul uses this example here in verse 14 and 15. Uh, and spiritually, we may lead someone to belief in Christ, and then you're a spiritual father of sorts. Uh, you've, you've brought that person into new life, in a sense. Uh, Paul claims that with the Corinthians here. Uh, I begat you. That, that's the literal word he uses, begotten. And the, the Greek word comes from Genesis. Uh, I, I, you've been given new birth. Now, we know uh, that this is all in a secondary sense, right? It's really God himself who, who regenerates the heart. It's only he who gives life. And yet Paul uses himself as the, an analogy to that. He doesn't back away and qualify and say, well, it's really God who did it. He, he's, he's claiming some apostolic authority here. He did plant the church in Corinth. He, he um, brought many of these people to faith. And so he's claiming that. 
So, uh, yes, this is all in a secondary sense. All fathers sitting here today were begotten themselves. It's not just that we're the source. That's why I said we're a source, right? Uh, Lowercase s. Uh, God is the only being with no other source. And that's why he's the ultimate father. God the father. So that's the first point today. Fathers beget. God uh, does uh, ultimately. uh, And fathers, uh, in a a secondary sense, uh, we we bring uh, children into the world. And all of us, in a sense, can be uh, fathers who who bring people to faith, who bring new life and, and lead people to the faith. So fathers beget. The second point is that fathers admonish. And this is really Paul's main point in the text here today. Uh, he says, you have 10,000 instructors. And the number there is kind of odd. It's, it's just the Greek word for myriad. Myriad, which uh, in the Greek back then was literally 10,000. The point isn't that you've got 10,000 teachers. It's that you've got myriads of them. You've got countless teachers but not many fathers. Remember, the Corinthians were quite proud about their teachers. They loved rhetoric. They loved listening to a great speech, and they would compare them, and, oh, I think Apollos is the best. No, I think, I think Paul's the best. I think this guy. And they did that all the time, and they were all wrapped up in that, listening to great um, uh, speeches, sermons. And Paul says, you're, you're taking interest in the wrong thing. It's not about the rhetoric. It's about your humility and your love. That's, that's the great love chapter uh, of First Corinthians. So uh, he makes a, the contrast here between teachers and fathers. And the point that he's making, it, it comes down to the one word, um, and where is it? It's in verse uh, 15. No, oh, I lost the word. It's in verse 16. No, it's not. I'm, I'm going to read from verse 14. The word is admonish, but it's, it's only in the uh, English standard. In, in the uh, New King James, which I'm using, it's warn. It's at the end of verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. So the word there in the Greek is admonish, uh, which literally means warn away. Right? Warn away. So fathers admonish. That's what, part of what fathers do inherently. Teachers don't admonish. Teachers convey information. But a father will warn away, will urge, exhort, uh, admonish, warn. They, and fathers do this. They rebuke with authority, right? Because dad knows their children. Uh, so that's the difference between a father and a teacher. And Paul's saying, I'm your father. Uh, I know you're all wrapped up in all these teachers. But there's something more fundamental between you and me. And then Paul goes on to warn and to admonish. This is what Hebrews 12 was all about, right? God is telling the Hebrews there that uh, they have been suffering some persecution for becoming Christians. uh, But the writer to the Hebrews says that you haven't suffered like Christ has suffered yet. And God is doing this to you for a reason because he's a good, faithful father. And fathers admonish, they discipline because that's what's needed in a child's life. Uh, So fathers admonish. Uh, To put this in a more lighthearted context, uh, there's a a comedian who likes to tell a joke about the the problems in the Middle East. He he says, you know what the Middle East really needs? All that conflict back and forth. What they really need is a good dad. 
They needed somebody to step in there and say, all right, what's going on here? I don't care who started it, knock it off. That's what the Middle East needs, he says. Which is a perfect illustration of what fathers do, how they admonish. That's what we're talking about here, right? Dad steps into the room and says, knock it off. That's what Paul is coming to the Corinthians to say and to do. Hey, you got some things, you got to knock it off. The Corinthians were enamored with all their teachers. You know what, we can make a list too, and this, this may be relevant to you, it may not, but think of John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Doug Wilson, George Grant, Toby Sumter, Jeff Durbin, Steve Wilkins, Herman Hooksima, Rich Lusk, Sinclair Ferguson. The list is long, there's a lot more. Good teachers, all. But which one will walk into your house and say, hey, I know you, I know what you're doing, and you need to knock that off. And that's why God gives us parents and pastors, authority figures and fathers. So as an aside here, Paul often says to the church that we can admonish one another. This isn't just a role for pastors or or parents or fathers. We're committed to helping each other. Uh, Paul says that often to the church. You can admonish one another. Uh, So if we see someone struggling, failing, falling away, we can say something, and we should. And that brings up an important point. Can we receive admonishment? Uh, Can we receive admonishment like that? If somebody does walk into your house, uh, someone you know, a good friend, uh, maybe your your, uh, parents, and they say, hey, we've been observing this in you, and you really ought to change that. Uh, Can you receive that? Uh, it's interesting to consider the Corinthian situation with that question in mind. Paul sends Timothy into this tough situation, a church proud of her gifts and her situation, a a church not so hot on Paul anymore. And now he sends them this letter where he warns them like a father. And he sends Timothy with the letter. Timothy's the one reading the letter, (laughs) this awkward admonishing letter to the Corinthians. And they think they're all hot stuff. They're beyond needing Paul. But he takes them down a peg or three, and he tells them to shape up. Fathers do this sometimes. Not harsh, not mean, not angry. But Hebrews 12 endorses it and and looks back and says, Yep, we needed that correction from Dad. Good and hard. We needed it. It was good for us. Because dads know the school of hard knocks can teach you. And they've been through that school themselves. So fathers admonish. Fathers remind. Paul uses that word in verse 17 as well. This is why I send Timothy to you, to remind you of these things. Uh, So uh, just a a note of application for the dads today. Dad, you may find a moment or two today on Father's Day when your children are more open to hearing from you. Uh, And that thing that you've been afraid to bring up because it's so sensitive, this might be the time because they're willing to listen. They remember that dad's called to admonish, to warn, to, re- to remind me of things. Fathers remind. You know, Paul was the type of guy who, it wasn't hard for him to name the elephant in the room. He was a type A kind of guy. He would just come out and say it. But it's harder for many of us dads and I encourage you to take courage and plunge in. 
Fathers uh, remind, they even admonish and warn. A bit of uh, cultural application here too. The Westminster Confession broadens the fifth commandment to honor father and mother. Uh, they broaden that to all authority figures. We need to respect authority, teachers, civil leaders, policemen. And this is why in this past year, we are seeing this defund the police thing. Rioters smashing in windshields of police cars. Because people who turn away from their heavenly father don't want other authorities around admonishing them either. No, they, they want to do the judging themselves, actually. And so they're out there admonishing the world these days. And it doesn't even matter so much what topic they pick. The point is they reject God's judgment of them, and they turn it around and they judge everybody else. So I'm not meaning to make a political point there. The point is that this is spiritual poison. If you can't receive warnings to knock it off from authority figures, you're rejecting your heavenly father because this is the way God has set this world up. That's really the main point of the, the text here, but uh, the second of our uh, message today, fathers beget and fathers admonish or they warn. Uh, third, fathers model. Uh, Paul sends uh, Timothy here, and even before he mentions Timothy in the verse 16, short before that, therefore I urge you, imitate me. So you see the, the tight logic here. Paul says, I'm not just your teacher, I'm your father. And since I'm your father, imitate me. Wow, that, that's, that's a strong assertion. And it's, again, Paul's simply assuming what the point that I'm making. Fathers model. They give uh, an example to imitate. So learning to be a son or a daughter means learning to be a father. As you're learning to be a good son, you're learning how to be a good dad in the future. And you have to receive that training before you can give it. Timothy is the textbook case, and it's a, a wonderful story. If you want to turn with me to Acts 16, that's where Timothy's story begins. Acts 16, I just want to delve into his story a little bit. It's the very first verse where Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he's along with Paul at this point, and says, uh, Acts 16, Then he, that's Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. And later on, a couple verses down, it mentions that everybody knows his father was Greek. He hadn't been circumcised. So Paul takes Timothy and he circumcises him. So here's uh, Timothy in Lystra. That's the town he's from. Um, I went to Israel and Turkey about 20 years ago, and I had the great privilege to actually stand on the site of Lystra. Uh, it's nothing but a pile of dirt in the middle of nowhere. This very backwoods, small town place that Timothy was from. And Timothy grows up with a believing mother, but a father who's Greek. Timothy had no faithful, believing father until Paul comes along. And Paul basically adopts him. And almost every time in Paul's letters when Paul mentions Timothy, you know what he calls him? My faithful, my beloved son. It's astounding. It almost makes me cry every time. 
Timothy had no spiritual father. Paul adopts him. And again, as an aside before I move on, this is the Trinitarian model. The father says to Jesus at his baptism, this is my beloved son. Paul is directly imitating God, calling Timothy his son. And then he calls the Corinthians to imitate him. That's profound, compelling. And Timothy, this boy he comes across in Lystra, who shows such promise and skill, but with no father to model the faith for him growing up. Later on, Paul commends the faith of his mother and his grandmother. And what a blessing that must have been. But young boys get to a point where they need to look to their dads and the men around them for examples. And Timothy got that with Paul and Titus and Epaphras and Luke, maybe Aquila. So here's Timothy now, back, going back to 1 Corinthians 4, in a position to act as a father to the new church that Paul planted. He's been watching Paul plant these churches, preach the gospel, beget people into the faith, warn them away from immorality, and so on. And now Timothy himself is equipped to be a father. Paul sends Timothy to do what Paul wants to do. And Paul sends Timothy everywhere, by the way. If you, if you read in the New Testament, he's always sending Timothy to one place or another because uh, Timothy can now do what Paul is trying to do. And he came from nowhere, and he did not even have a believing father growing up. That's part of what our Heavenly Father is showing us. I can pick you up, however damaged you are, whatever has gone wrong in your life, I can erase the guilt, restore your dignity, and give you the mission that you were born for. That is what fathers do. Fathers model. And so Paul has raised Timothy to be a father. He sends him to Corinth now to warn, to remind, to instruct. So fathers beget, fathers admonish, fathers model. And the last point goes back to the first point, really. Fathers build. A quick last point here, and then we're done. Begetting leads to building is the point that I would make. Dads like to build and fix lots of things, right? Dads build careers, houses, trucks, trains, cars, buildings. That's all great. God wired us to do that. Take dominion. Figure stuff out. Solve the problem. Uh, fix the, the drain, whatever it is. But the most important things that dads build is people. Dads build their own children, raised up to be like their heavenly father. God the Father not only gives us life, he sustains that life. He sacrifices to redeem and restore and build our lives. And when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus commends Peter and he says, On this rock I will build my church. Jesus begets the church at the, at the cross, right? He, he, is, he founds us, he, he restores, redeems us as his people. And then he builds that church over time. First Peter 2 speaks of us as living stones who are being built up as a spiritual house. Fathers build. 
So just as our Heavenly Father has had mercy on us, uh, forgiven us our sin, He's also building us. We're in the midst of the grand building project that is not yet over. So uh, that's important for us. And the point of application I'll just make in passing is that uh, too many dads today beget, but then they don't build, build up their children. And we have an epidemic of fatherlessness in our society that's leading to all the symptoms that we see in the news these days. Fathers build. So that's the message today. Uh, God, uh, substitute God for father in the outline, and you have the same kind of message. God begets. God set up the world in this way. He's given us all life. God admonishes. We have his word on how to live. We often break it, and we need reminders to knock it off. Right? God admonishes. God models. God gave us Jesus, an incarnate example of himself. Isaiah 9 calls Jesus our everlasting father. So God equips us to build. And that takes sacrifice. He clears away the rubble of our guilt. He lays a clean foundation on Christ. And he's building his church on it. And we're called to build a life of holiness and productivity in our callings. So earthly fathers reflect the image of God and the work of Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, giving us your word, for reminding us, uh, even uh, warning us and rebuking us when we need it. Thank you that you've uh, given us uh, faithful examples, faithful fathers sitting all around us. We uh, ask that you would guard and protect them, uh, give them wisdom as they seek to lead in their families. Thank you for uh, giving us your word, giving us your spirit, giving us the good counsel of other faithful uh, believers in your church, in our lives, uh, so that we can indeed follow you in spirit and in truth. We pray, Lord, uh, that you would help us uh, to build uh, lives, families uh, correctly, according to your design. Uh, help us to be examples that others can follow. Help us to look to your son, Jesus who has given us the greatest example and borne the greatest price and sacrifice to produce the most. Lord, thank you for that great gift. We ask that as we continue in worship, that our eyes will be fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so we pray as he taught us to pray. remembrance and communion and hope. It's a past, present, and future thing. We come in remembrance. We're remembering Jesus' work, his death on the cross, uh, mainly, uh, that he has uh, paid the price for our sins. We come in communion as well. In the present, we know we have communion, a relationship, fellowship uh, with Christ now. Even as he sits on the throne, he is with us in spirit, promised to be with us always. And we have communion, fellowship, relationship, connection with one another and with saints who have gone before in the uh, invisible united church uh, here and in heaven. 
And we come in hope, remembering that heaven is our home, our destination, that this meal is a pledge, a foretaste of the feast to come, that we will sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb in glory. And this meal reminds us of our future as well. So with that, uh, we invite to the Lord's table all those who are baptized into the triune name of God, all those under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. As we eat the bread and drink the wine, we are acknowledging that we are sinners without hope except in God's sovereign mercy, that we're trusting in Christ alone for salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.